0: Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. (music) Greetings and welcome, folks. It is Friday, April 9th, 2021, Easter Friday, Friday of the Octave of Easter, after a very involved and very busy Easter Sunday and Easter weekend for many churches throughout the world. Uh, Even in the midst of this uh, ongoing pandemic, we still found a reason to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And at least in the Catholic Church, we celebrate all week, this first week following Easter, even as we go forward in the next 50 days after Easter, continually celebrating the season of Easter and the season of the resurrection of Jesus. It was on this day in 1865, April 9th, that General Lee surrendered to General Grant, ending the Civil War, a milestone moment in the history of this country. In 1867, the United States Senate approved the purchase of Alaska as a territory that would eventually become our 49th state. In 1932, the public got its first view of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery, Just across the river from Washington, D.C. In 1940, on this day, the Nazis invaded Denmark and bombed Oslo, Norway, in their ongoing progression of World War II in their conquest of Western Europe and eventually their efforts to go into the Soviet Union. And in 1959, the Mercury astronauts were first formally introduced to the public. But today, I want to talk to you about something that is becoming more and more prevalent in our current media reports, and that is a subject of concern for many people, and that is what has become to be known euphemistically as the cancel culture. This tendency of wanting to cancel out things that various groups find offensive, or somehow are reflective of an understanding of history, or basically. Many consider to be assaults on some of the more basic aspects of our culture, and in some cases, targets some of the most beloved people or institutions over sometimes minutiae, sometimes major issues, but sometimes minutiae. For example, uh, the very idea that Dr. Seuss, which is under assault nowadays, is a subject of racism and racial bias, especially in some cases in which that's the last thing or the furthest thing from anyone's mind. We have factions that remind us of it or have decided it does, and therefore they must be canceled and done away with. And we refer to that as the cancel culture. And what keeps everyone on edge is we just never seem to know what's going to be next, who's going to be targeted next, who's going to be held up for ridicule, and then those who would defend it or would seek to defend it are intimidated from doing so for fear of themselves being labeled and, in some cases, canceled. But all this has reminded me of something from my own childhood. And believe it or not, it is a skit from the children's show Sesame Street. And it is from a skit that initially is intended to teach children through a story the pronunciation of the letter P. And the idea is how many instances of the pronunciation of the letter P can be found or recognized by the children watching the show in this particular story. It's told by Luis, who's one of the original cast members of Sesame Street. And it's a story about a king named Peter the Persnickety. And as the story goes, he is going through the garden with his daughter, the Princess Penelope, smelling the petunias, which are his favorite flower, when suddenly he is pegged by a ping pong ball, or maybe pelted, I'm not sure, but you get the idea. It's the P sound. He is pegged by a ping pong ball, and he's very irritated by that. And then shortly thereafter, he is pricked by a pet porcupine. Well, after those two instances, he decides to make a proclamation with his pen that he wrote on his parchment, in which he declares that anything beginning with the letter P is banished in his kingdom. Or one might say, he's canceling out anything that starts with the letter P. And why? Because he was pegged by a ping pong ball and pricked by a pet porcupine. Therefore, it must be the letter P. And so anything that starts with the letter P is no longer permitted into his kingdom. And of course, his stewards, his servants, immediately appreciate this new proclamation. And they begin by saying, well, your highness, here's a proclamation and the pen and the parchment on which which it was written. And so we're going to take these away because they begin with P. And and the king at first is a bit confused, but okay, this is his proclamation. And he sits down for his dinner with his daughter, and it is served by Pierre, the chef. And it's his favorite dinner, pepperoni pizza. And no sooner does he sit down, it is served by Pierre when his servants come in and say, well, Pierre begins with P as does pepperoni and pizza and pickles, which are on the pizza, all begin with P and have to go. And so he's a bit perplexed, and the princess Penelope comes to comfort him, whereupon his servants come forward again and say, oh, well, princess and Penelope also begin with P, and the princess is pulled away, crying for her father as she's being taken away, and the king is completely flabbergasted by this, and he says, well, poor me, I'm all alone in my palace. Whereupon they come forward and say, well, palace begins with P, so we got to take down the palace, and they begin to dismantle the palace. Well, of course, the king is unhappy, and as the story is continually told by Luis, he decides that this proclamation was a bit overkill, and so he decides to make another announcement and declares that anything beginning with the letter P is now welcome in his kingdom, and his princess comes back, he gets his pepperoni and pickle pizza served by Pierre, and, of course, they live all happily ever after, or as Luis says, he felt positively peachy. And I think that is a good fable, even though the story is meant to challenge kids to listen to how many times the, the letter P sounds throughout the story, even though the king canceled or declared that the letter P is now banned, or anything beginning with the letter P is now banned. But I think it speaks strongly to the cancel culture of today, in which, yes, we start canceling things out for various standards, and over time, those standards could change, Or those standards could be applied in ways that we didn't perhaps intend for them to be applied, and yet we have become so enmeshed in a cancel culture that even those who are in favor of this cancellation policy and this cancellation pattern may find certain things about them or about their values that may end up be canceled later on. But what's unnerving about it is, in this cancel culture, whatever it is that they object to, there's no debate There's no discussion. It's just removed. They're objectionable for whatever reason. And there's cultural, there's business pressure, there's public pressure. And it is a very intimidating environment for people to live in. And it leads us to ask the question, why? Why is something canceled? And more often than not, it's because someone finds something offensive. And in many cases, when they find that offensive, they immediately label it in the extreme sense in which they call it hate speech. I'm offended by it, so it's considered to be hate speech. And it seems to be that that's the big standard here, where where the worst possible offense that can be committed, short of an out-and-out crime, although some people would want to bring these to a level of criminal activity, is that somehow being offended or causing someone else offense is the worst thing that one can do. And in many ways, we're worried about giving offense. I even had someone that I once knew, a Catholic family, and they sent out their Christmas cards, and of course all the Christmas cards didn't say Merry Christmas according to the faith that they professed as Catholics. It just said simply happy holidays. And that was at a time in which some many would say Christmas was under assault that they wanted to downplay Christmas and focus on Happy Holidays instead of saying Merry Christmas. And so, in talking to this friend, I was giving them a hard time, and I said, you know, what's this Happy Holidays? What's wrong with Merry Christmas? And they said, well, I didn't want to offend my non-Catholic friends. Whereupon immediately I thought, okay, so you offend your Catholic ones. But we're so worried about people taking offense to pretty much anything that, that becomes the main focal point In our society, the main thing to be avoided is giving anyone offense. We're walking on eggshells around everyone because we're so afraid that we might even accidentally give offense to someone, whereupon all these judgments are going to be made about our outlook, our values, our character, and so on. And it's done very, very quickly and very much in a knee jerk fashion with no discussion, no debate. It's just, I'm offended. And it's almost like, remember that old Dr. Pepper commercial from the 1970s? We could easily change that to you. I'm offended, he's offended, she's offended, we're offended. Wouldn't you like to be offended too? It seems to be the big focal point nowadays is we're walking on eggshells because we don't want to give offense in anything. And we're very concerned about that because it's not only giving offense, even if it's accidental, but we're worried about what it reflects about us or how people will judge our character or treat us simply because something, even innocently, caused offense. Because we're living at a time in which there are those who are the loudest in our society, we have people who it would seem to be that they're only happy when they're miserable, they are offended by pretty much everything, and to them there's no such thing as an unexpressed thought. You will always hear about it, When they are offended, they will always tell you, they will always bring it up. And for some, that's empowering of them. It's it's a very empowering thing for them. That I tell you I'm offended and suddenly you're groveling in apologies. And more often than not, I'm not going to accept that apology because you offended me. Therefore, you must be this type of a character. And nowadays, it tends to be a racist or bigots or a person who engages in hate speech. But they're only happy when they're miserable. They're offended by pretty much everything, and there's no such thing as an unexpressed thought. They've never had an unexpressed thought. You will always know when they are offended. And the irony of that is they take offense at everything, but they themselves don't care who they offend. You know, In many ways, it's almost like they are the center of a universe in which time stops because I'm offended, but I'm not going to stop if what I do offends you. And part of the reason for this, I believe, is we've been so conditioned and the attitudes toward hearing something that we may find objectionable or uncomfortable, part of what aggravates the situation is the presumption that the offense was intended. That not only was I offended by you, but you intended to offend me. And I've often seen where someone says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And that just aggravates the person even more. Yes, you did. Sometimes I've seen them pounding on tables or countertops or podiums as they say this, that you know, just simply apologizing and saying, I didn't intend to. They will not accept even that. You intended it. And that aggravates the feeling of offense. When sometimes offense is the farthest thing from what was intended, A person makes a comment that they don't find offensive, did not think it was offensive, but suddenly someone steps up and I was very offended. Or what you said was very inappropriate. Well, I I didn't know that. Well, you should have known. Everything is thrown on the person. And if one were to say, well, I don't think it's offensive, the response is, well, therefore you must be a closet racist or bigot or insensitive person. You just don't know it. But all that matters is it's offensive to me. You may not think it's offensive, but it's offensive to me. Therefore, you are a, and nowadays the popular thing, is racist and bigot, a person who engages in hate speech or hate language. And it keeps people very, very much on edge. So who decides what's offensive in this climate, in this atmosphere? Some might think, well, maybe it's the politicians. Maybe it's the academics in the colleges. They analyze everything because their knowledge is so much more advanced than ours is, and then they have to explain to us why something is offended, and that suddenly becomes the norm. It's offensive because someone has decided it's offensive, when perhaps prior to that, I mean, really, did anybody really think Dr. Seuss was that offensive until someone analyzing it said, oh, yes, this is something that should be considered, or they would just simply say outright is offensive. Is it the politicians, the academics? Is it the media who suddenly just start you know, going to town on these reports and these commentaries on who's going to be offended next and by what? Or is it the market? Is it the market? People find something offensive and therefore they don't patronize it. And perhaps rightly so, perhaps wrongly so, but they are uncomfortable with something or out and out find it offensive or inappropriate, and therefore they either boycott or just simply don't patronize business that engages in activity or a group that engages in activity that would be considered offensive. But is this with regard to anything that offends anyone needs to be canceled? Is it anything that's offensive at all to anyone? I think if we ever get to that point... There won't be anything that one way or another, someone, somewhere, finds offensive. It could be anything that's out there. But is it only objectionable if it offends, period, or is it only offending certain people? I mean, what if something offends a Christian? What if it offends a particular Christian denomination? What if it is offensive to Catholics? If Catholics find this or that offensive, Will the cancel culture care? What if one group in particular finds offensive that we really don't care about their sensitivities? Does this promote a kind of privileged group to whom everyone now has to cater to when they are offended, but other groups, if they're offended, it doesn't matter? Think about that. If it's a specific group that every time you turn around they're offended and we have to always be careful that we don't offend a certain group or a certain particular groups, ask ourselves this question. What do we call children who are always given what they want whenever they have a temper tantrum? I mean, we have children who, if they don't get their way, they get very upset and they have a temper tantrum. They'll say such things as, you're the worst mom or you're the worst dad ever. You just hate me. You just don't love me. Sometimes they throw and break things. Does this sound familiar? But what do we call children who are always given what they want whenever they have a temper tantrum? How do we deal with kids who are always crying and whining about every perceived slight? What do we call them? We call them spoiled, indulged brats. And yet we're living at a time in which we're constantly walking on eggshells. Who's going to be offended by what next? But if perhaps I express offense at something... Is anyone really gonna care? What if the Catholic Church or Catholics in general were to start making a list of things that they find offensive from movies to commercials to television shows to comments that were made by public officials? Even things made off the cup or accidentally without thinking about it. If we just start making a list and reacting to anything we find offensive and anything that Catholics find offensive, would it get the same reaction from other groups? So in many ways, we see an inequality in this cancel culture. But who decides what's offensive? What is being canceled in the midst of this? Well, first of all, what bothers me more than anything, really, is the cancellation of history. I mean, we see great figures of our history now being attacked because of their flawed character. And finally, anyone, okay, short of Jesus Christ, who was perfect, But when we see schools being renamed that were once named for Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, we see statues of these men, along with, say, Ulysses S. Grant, other founding fathers, and out here in California, and of course, me being a Catholic priest, it's of great dismay to see the statue of one of our saints, Junipero Serra, The apostle and evangelizer to California being torn down because of misunderstandings or not clear historical representations of his role during a time of exploration, colonization, and conquest in this part of the world. And there's no desire to learn about these various historical figures to put their lives in context or even to recognize the extraordinary sacrifices of the likes of Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant for the sake of abolition in this country, or the evolution in attitude of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson toward slavery as a direct result of their founding of this country and the principles on which it was founded, and learning the history of their lives, including their lives regarding the issue of slavery. Understanding the great love that Junipero had for the people to whom he evangelized. The cancellation of history is something that really, really bothers me because I love history as a subject. I love studying it. And as I learn things, I have come to understand elements of our history that I recognize are not even being considered in the midst of a canceled culture and there are plenty of other examples from our history that we can perhaps uh, think about or are reminded of the assault on our history by this cancel culture what we've heard lately especially are, are movies such as gone with the wind song of the south peter pan dumbo sometimes old cartoons might have a caricature somewhere in the cartoon where an introduction to the cartoon, or now on on such uh, sites as uh, Disney+, Plus, there's an introduction to a movie or to uh, an old episode of The Muppets that warns us, well, there are things that are going to occur in this cartoon that we find offensive today. And then they'll always say this, It was wrong then, and it is wrong now. Now that seems a reasonable thing to say until you really think about it. We are making this judgment that what we declare as wrong today, by today's standards, must have always been wrong and should have always been wrong because we know so much better than anybody in the past. Now, granted, there are some things that that today are definitely offensive and, and perhaps were even controversial in their own day. But who are we or who is anyone to make that judgment now or ever? It was wrong then and it is wrong now. It it's kind of expresses a self-important arrogance to make that statement. Somehow we are more enlightened now than anyone has ever been at any other given time in history. What are we presuming about the people of a previous era when we make that statement? And what are we doing today that will have that very phrase said of us? And we'll have those judgments made of us, say, 100 years from now. Are we doing anything now? We're 100 years from now? They'll say, well, back in 2021, this was the norm, but it was wrong then and it's wrong now. Are we that presumptuous about our own purity of outlook? And especially passing that judgment on people who do not share that so-called purity of outlook that we have today. That we even look back upon history and will make comments like that. One might say things have developed that it is uncomfortable for us to see, or might be offensive today, but was not offensive then. But to make the kind of judgmental call that it was wrong, the kind of moral call, Again, not on everything. Some things are appropriately judged to be wrong, but when we're looking at things like old cartoons or old movies, it was wrong then and it is wrong now. I often wonder, what are we doing today? where a 100 years from now. They're going to point that out of our time and say it was wrong then and it's wrong now. And if we were to go face to face with those people of the future, whatever it is happens to be, such as, let's say, a popular sitcom today and a bit of humor or a portrayal in a movie or a TV show that we really don't think anything of today. But in the future, somehow they'll have an issue with it. And they they tell us, well, that was wrong then in our time. And it is wrong now in the future. We might ask, "Well, who are you to make that comment? And the attitude is, well, we're more enlightened than you today. We have movies that are being canceled. We have books that are being canceled. Dr. Seuss, books that many of us grew up with and through which we learned how to read. Books that question the mainstream ideologies, say a book that gives a counter argument to popular climate theory or popular gender theory. It's out of the mainstream, so we're not going to allow it to be distributed or even published or we won't sell it through various outlets because it doesn't fit a particular agenda or particular value system. And in doing that, for example, in canceling someone like a certain books of Dr. Seuss, I've noticed uh, online, we're making collector's items of great value of these books. One of the books is To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street. I actually looked up the book online once it suddenly became an issue of controversy. And once it was determined that that particular book would no longer be available for purchase, I looked it up online and I found it on sale in one place for almost $600. In another place for about $200. And that's the same for the other books on the Dr. Seuss list that people find objectionable. In canceling it, you're making these very, very valuable things to have. People who may already have these books could perhaps sell them for a lot of money because the cancel culture and canceling them has now made them collector's items of great value. We see stores, restaurants, food chains, calls to boycott because of either a value system that's expressed or just a personal value system lived by the owner or the manager, as if even one's own mental ideology has to be in conformity. Otherwise, there'll be a push to boycott your know, restaurants and food chains and stores. Chick-fil-A, a popular fast food chain, has been a target. But when you look at something like that, could not the market decide over time, rather than abrupt, short-term cancellation? As a free-thinking, intelligent, educated individual, I can't help but think I don't need a government to decide for me that something is bad. I can decide for my own value system and, and sense of decency. I don't need a government to pass a law to shut something down when it might not be open for long anyway because of a value system that might be considered offensive. And that, I think, is the key. No cancel culture. Let the intelligence of the population decide rather than a small faction ram it down our throat or an elite group of whether it's academics, politicians, media, dictating to us what should and is offensive. Here's an example that I think could illustrate it. You know, what if a new business, so you're in your local town, wherever you are, a new business opens up and they make it their policy that they will refuse business to certain groups of people, let's say for the sake of the example, they will refuse business to people of African descent. Now, first of all, they're cutting themselves completely away from a demographic that would be customers to them. Second of all, anyone who is not of that group might find that policy offensive. Some might not. But I'm willing to wager that most would find it offensive and would not approve of that policy. So not only is that business cutting itself off from an entire demographic of potential customers, but they're cutting themselves off from people who are not of that demographic, who will very strongly object to that policy. I, of course, would be one of them. I wouldn't patronize a store that had that policy. Now, if the owner of that business believed that he or she could survive and remain in business with that policy, boy, I sure love to see him try. But my expectation would be that they would not be in business for very long because enough people would object to that policy that they would either have to close their doors and go out of business or change that policy and hope the bad feelings that they generated from that policy will go away so that they will get the business, so that they will get the patronage of people and thereby stay open. But if they think they could stay open with that policy, hey, all power to them. But my guess is that the market would decide on this and that people would not. It would be a much smaller, smaller demographic, if any at all, That would patronize this store and probably not enough to keep it open. And that's what I mean by let the intelligence of the population decide these things. Let the market decide it. We don't need an outside influence to declare when something is offensive, when it is so blatantly obvious to people. Over time, if people are uncomfortable with a caricature, then then, over time people are uncomfortable with a caricature. And they learn that as they grow, as they teach it to their children. So bottom line, if you don't like a product, don't buy it. If you don't like a movie or a TV show because you find it offensive, don't watch it. If you object to or are offended by the policies of a particular business or company, don't go there, go somewhere else. See how well they stay open without yours and many other people's business. And as we see recently in the state of Georgia over the voting law and the reaction to it, if you don't like a law that has passed or a policy that is implemented, then vote out the lawmakers that pass it and the governor that signed it. That's what elections are for. Too many people forget that elections can affect the outcome of any policy. Don't just boycott. Don't just make public statements against a city or a state because a particular law was passed. And especially if you don't belong to that community or state, unless you are planning on moving and living there in the near future. But if we really object to something like a law that's passed and signed and implemented, why do we keep re-electing politicians who are responsible for those policies? There is a correlation. But we don't have to contribute to their campaigns, and we don't have to vote for them. We don't have to patronize a store. We don't have to watch a TV show or movie. We don't have to buy a video. And eventually, it will pan out that something that people find offensive will diminish over time. People will buy less of Dr. Seuss if we find it offensive. People will buy less of Gone with the Wind if we find it offensive. But when we look at just take Gone with the Wind, and at least that one book by Dr. Seuss. Since it's under attack for whatever is offensive that it expresses, in the case of Gone with the Wind, how it portrays slavery, people raise an objection. They want to cancel it. But the result is more people are buying the video. And apparently people are willing to buy a canceled Dr. Seuss book at a very, very high price. Because while people are telling us that something is offensive and wants to cancel it, the market is showing us many people don't see it that way. Or at least they can appreciate how something might not be portrayed or produced today that was produced in the late 30s. But that doesn't mean they no longer value something like Gone with the Wind or an old cartoon. And there, I I think rather strongly that the market will determine it. Because even though some people are saying this is offensive and needs to be canceled, others are saying we want to purchase it. So let's take a look at possibilities of how we could apply the cancel culture to other things. Just for the sake of, of argument here. For example, what was last year? Last year was the year 2020. And I think the sentiment of everybody was that 2020 was really a bear of a year. It was not a good year. So let's propose that since it was such a bad year for so many, we will just cancel anything having to do with 2020 or anything named 2020. Very much like King Peter the Persnickety. Anything beginning with the letter P. So anything that makes a reference to 2020, we will cancel. For example, we will cancel the TV news show 2020. Because just invoking 2020 might upset people, might trigger people because of such bad memories during the year 2020. Does that make sense? Or how about we will no longer refer to perfect vision and perfect hearing as 2020 vision, 2020 hearing. Because we say, well, I have 2020 hearing, I have 2020 vision, someone will get upset because it makes a reference to 2020 and... It it just triggers them, and it evokes too many many bad memories. So we need to cancel 2020. Instead, we'll say it's perfect vision. We'll no longer say 2020 vision. We'll say perfect vision, or we'll say 100% vision. Or to be trendy, we'll say my vision is 1,000%, as if that makes any sense. But we'll cancel anything having to do with 2020. And I hope, while it makes sense, we see kind of the ludicry of it. Yes, 2020 was a rough year, but that doesn't mean we completely do away with anything that makes any reference whatsoever to the number 2020, whether it be a year or to hearing or to the name of a TV show. You know, let's cancel 2020. We'll stick to Dateline NBC in 60 minutes. It doesn't make any sense. So what sense does this make when we live in a society in which We're pointing the finger and looking for something new to declare offensive so as to cancel it. And in some cases, either in a very minor, minor way, or a way that wasn't even intended, or we suddenly want to define something by its worst quality, or its most questionable quality. Forget the great epic that is the film Gone with the Wind. It portrays slavery in a certain light. Not that we approve slavery, but there's more to the film Gone with the Wind than how it portrays slavery. There's more to the film Song of the South, the Disney film, than how it portrays various people from a particular period in history. And there perhaps lies the fruits of what the cancel culture is about. It wants to cancel, in the end, anything about Western civilization by accentuating the worst parts of the history or the worst thing said about the worst parts of its history. And ultimately, in the end, a lot of what is targeted by cancel culture, some of which are values expressed in Christianity, the value systems we hold with regard to morality, with regard to salvation, with regard to the standards that we're called to live. And an ignorance of history has led to people defining us as a nation, as a Western civilization, as a church, by the worst parts. But not only the worst parts, but the worst things said about the worst parts. You talk about church history, and immediately someone wants to say, well, what about Galileo? As if they know what the Galileo affair was about, and what transpired. What about that Inquisition? As if they know what the Inquisition was, and what it was about. What about those abuse scandals? And there's no excuse for those. But they always will bring up the worst parts of that history. At the same time, the cancel culture loves criticizing about how Christianity, the Catholic Church, canceled heresy. It burned works of the Gnostics in the early church, it suppressed certain writings. It'll criticize how, in the 20th century, the fascists banned and burned books, but then they themselves will turn around and exercise the same cancellation of things today, right here in the United States. But in many ways, it seeks to downplay and vilify Western civilization, and in some cases the very thing that built Western civilization, and that is the Christian faith, and in particular, the Catholic Church. So how do we deal with it? What's the solution to it? Well, it's kind of hard to stop a whole social movement as individuals. But as we see, people are buying Gone with the Wind, the video, the DVD, the Blu-ray, despite the fact that there are those who would seek to cancel it or classify it in some way because of its portrayals. Uh, People are selling at a very high price as a collector's item certain Dr. Seuss books that have been deemed inappropriate and therefore should be canceled. So in some ways, there'll be confrontations to this trend, but let's just look at the basic issue of being offended. And as one who's a priest, of course, who will often give a homily every now and again that someone will find upsetting or challenging, and they respond to that challenge by immediately approaching you, brup, 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 and say, you offended me, or it could be another public figure, it could be a teacher, it could be a politician, another public speaker. How do you deal with someone who's offended you? You find yourself offended by what someone has said or did. In that, I'd like to point out that there are two possible scenarios you might be dealing with. The first is, they intended to offend you you got offended and they actually intended to offend you. The other is that they did not intend to offend you. Let's take a look at the first scenario. If you are offended by someone and they intended to offend you, then what purpose will be served by you walking up to them and telling them you offended me? When has anyone who deliberately intended to offend you changed their mind or regretted giving offense when you told them that you had been offended? If anything, they'll spike the ball because you coming up and telling them, brruh, 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 you offended me. What makes you think they're not going to say, yes, I achieved my goal, and you have now empowered them to do it again on some later date? So when people are offended, they immediately want to tell someone, especially the person that they have been offended by what they did. But the thing is, who's to say that that will not empower them to do it again because that was what they intended? The second is if they did not intend to offend you. But you want to let them know that you were offended. And you want to make sure they know it and they feel it and they regret that you were offended. In which case, your desire to humiliate them and socket to them is on you. Imagine, a person says something they had no intention to offend, but you are going to make sure they feel that humiliation and that shame. Who's really on the wrong side here? And when all is said and done, my being offended by something says more about me. Why I am offended by something says more about me, if I am offended by something, it says more about me. And even more so, how I respond to it. And more often than not, when someone is offended, especially, for example, after a homily I gave at Mass, or after a politician gives a speech, or a public figure says or does something, the response is usually immediate, a text is sent, an email is shot off, or they come to you right after the event and immediately want to tell you, is there much time given for thought and reflection and consideration? If someone offends you, I say just avoid them. Don't expect that your telling them will make any difference. Because in this day and age, it more likely will not. And if your goal is to shame them... First of all, if they intended to offend you, it's not going to. It may empower them. And second, if they did not intend to, then your shaming them is on you. So the best thing is if if you're offended by someone or something by what they say or do, then the best thing is to just, first of all, sleep on it. But second of all, put it in a little perspective. Don't be someone who is only happy when you are miserable. And when it comes to the cancel culture of things of our past and our history, or of a particular individual, allow for growth and development and improvement over time. And with regard to history, all I can say is know the history. Not certain parts of it, not certain fragments of it, not only the bad things people bring up about it, or the bad things people say about the worst parts, but know that history. Know its context. And remember not only the history, but that you and this era will also be subject to the judgments and values of history and future generations. Like I said, there may be something in the future that they will look back on us today to say it was wrong then and it was wrong now. And who are they at that time to make that judgment of us? And who are we to make that judgment of a previous era? but rather allow for growth and development and improvement over time and over history. We may be perfectly right that something would not be appropriate today and perhaps was not appropriate then, but to make the judgment that things were intended because of a lesser understanding or a lesser quality of culture at the time is, I think, the height of presumption, and we need to remember that those same judgments of history and future generations will be reflected back on us and even on areas of history that are not justifiable, where we can say it was wrong then and wrong now, still allow for that time for growth. We have now become a society that not only abolished slavery, so we did address it and get rid of it, but we are now a society that can't imagine slavery was ever part of it. That's how far we've come, and we should be glad of that. And God willing, one day we will be there with regard to abortion. That one day there might be people who want to cancel things of our era because they were pro-abortion. And one day we will be a society in which we can't imagine that ever having been a part of our history or part of our society. But don't cancel the history simply because some parts of it are offensive. We need to learn from it and allow for growth and development. Also, don't be offended by everything. Life is too short. Again, if all we do is count down the ways in which we are offended, that says more about us than anything else. A basic rule of thumb I like to remind people of is if a person does or says something that can be interpreted two ways and one of those ways offends you, assume he or she meant the other one, unless we have evidence to the contrary. Don't presume the offense was intended but give someone the benefit of the doubt. Because if they did intend to offend you, then they achieved their goal. And you can't give them that satisfaction. If they didn't intend to offend us, or offend you, then we take the high ground by presuming that they didn't intend to offend, and we are able to move on. Because being offended is more about the one who is offended than about the one giving offense. Especially those who do nothing but get offended by things. They fixate on what offends them. But ironically, they're not concerned with who they might themselves offend. So these might be some things to consider. And something to consider as we continue to hear the news with regard to the cancel culture and the obsession people have with being offended and giving offense. I hope their life is a little happier than it seems to be. When these issues come forth, because if this is all their life is about, then life can't be very happy for them, and they apparently don't want it to be very happy for the rest of us. Let us grow in our awareness, in our values, but let's be less judgmental and more compassionate when it comes to giving offense. Because if all we are ever doing is giving offense or taking offense, then that's what's going to be fostered in the future. But if we keep things in a solid perspective and keep our heads, keep our hearts, and keep our charity and don't live for being offended and don't presume offense was intended, then we won't empower those who do intend it and we will be more compassionate for those who did not intend it. And then as a society in general, we can continue to move forward with an increase and enhancement of our values as we grow more and more as a society, as families, as local communities, and as individuals. And we won't be the society that is on edge that we see today. So those are just a few thoughts I have for this Friday after Easter. I thank you for listening. I thank you for joining me. And with any luck, I'll see you again soon.